What's going on, everybody? This is uh, Chris Kay from uh, Campus Canton. Joining me is Ethan Sowers. We're here to discuss DraftKings main slate on Saturday for week one. You have to be very descriptive because there's about 17 slates in week one, which is equally amazing as it is chaotic for content providers. Um, we're going to talk about the DFS plays for you guys. And we call this thing Campus to Caching, right? So this is one of 17,000 shows at C2C covering Devi, C2C, CFF, DF, uh, DFS, price picks, things like that. So go over to the site, go over to YouTube, go to Spotify, Apple, et cetera, and subscribe and like, and specifically leave five-star reviews for anything Ethan and I are doing and 4.5 for everybody else. Uh, <laughs> this is a fun slate. The pricing is interesting. There's a lot of good options. There's a lot of crazy options and there's not a lot of uh, info out there to help us out, but Ethan and I are going to, to crank this out here and i guess ethan what's kind of like your overall thought on the slate um or maybe like specifically the quarterback position as we kind of rattle off our favorite options throughout the different decisions yeah for sure so uh, in true DraftKings fashion in early season fashion there are a ton of guys that i feel are just wildly mispriced on the slate um, that being said, they did a pretty good job keeping it a little bit more tight salary-wise, especially compared to, to last week uh, in week zero. So um, I'm intrigued. I think that there's a lot of value um, and that it's spread out pretty well across the positions. Um, but we'll just jump right in with, with quarterback here. Um, I am curious your thoughts. So the first mispressed guy that, that I saw are mispress unit is that Tennessee passing attack. And so uh, no better way to uh, to kick it over to you. But, but Bazooka Joe, what uh, what do you think? An 8,700 on DraftKings this week. Uh, got some dirt cheap uh, receiving options to pair him with. Uh, what's your what's your take on that? Um, I am a Bazooka Joe fan, and I think the price is a little aggressive. But if you were to, if and you have to, right, stack him, that combination is super cheap compared to like what a typical receiver one or receiver two with the set quarterback is. So I think that does help us maybe gives us some lower ownership on, on Joe, just because maybe people don't want to pay up for it. I think technically it's a little bit too high for me, but like you mentioned, there's a lot of value on the slate. There's some, definitely some mispricing. So specifically with Tennessee, it allows us to get a great quarterback stack and a great total, a great spread that uh, isn't going to necessarily break the bank like a typical QB one with a receiver one would. Are, are you on him as well? Or are you, or what are you yeah, thinking there? Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at the stack, it, it ends up kind of balancing out the fact that he's, he is a little aggressive in the pricing, but um, you know, there are a lot of guys around him and a few guys right below him that I think that I'm more interested in. Um, Michael Penix Jr. specifically at 8,400, I think is a, uh, a great option. You know, uh, neither of those guys are, I think, going to be running the ball a ton in this game, um, you know, I, in, in their, their matchup. So um, I do think that there's a little bit of a, uh, a capped upside. Uh, at least with Penix, though, you know that this game is probably going to be a little bit more competitive. It's going to be uh, Boise State's definitely uh, two touchdown dogs at least, but um, you know, they should be able to keep some pressure on that, uh, that Washington passing attack. So I think that, um, when you look kind of at the guys around him, I've got this slate pulled up here and, and I'm checking out some pricing, 
you know, Dylan Gabriel's right in that that price range. Uh, Tanner Mordecai, who I'm I'm definitely not on this week, uh, is in mm-hmm. that that range as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Milton's well in play. Um, I'm more worried about his ownership though, uh, just because of those those receiver options. I think he is going to be stacked, 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 and the only way you're going to differentiate is if you're throwing, you know, two guys in there with him or maybe even playing some no, some naked joe i mean what do you think about about rolling him by himself naked naked joe is dangerous no i wouldn't just because just because of the options and it's i mean like yeah. it, i don't think he'll run a bunch um but i do think he'll potentially run around the end zone which is great for fantasy um so i do agree with you there and that's the nice thing about him against Penix is that Penix is like a statue like he's going nowhere right but yeah He's definitely a safer play. Like I wrote him up for the the slate this weekend as a really safe high floor play. He's got all of his receivers back, you know, lost a running back. So, you know, maybe they lean on the pass game more this season, although Dylan Johnson's a great option as well. But um, I think, you know, Bazooka is kind of your upside guy and Penix is your your floor guy. I think Penix will be crazy on too, won't you? I mean, his receivers are oh, yeah. for how good they are. They're pretty mildly priced too yeah i mean ownership's going to be a weird thing this week i mean we have i think 14 games so there's, there's plenty of options so anytime mm-hmm. a slate is that big you're going to get some differentiation what really hurts us is ohio state quarterbacks splitting time so we're going to be looking at you know kyle mccord and Devin brown splitting that that fantasy day um i do think that there's some interesting value with say you know Quinn Ewers out there, Shador Sanders, uh, Chandler Morris, all some guys who I have some interest in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think for a 14-game slate, it is going to be pretty concentrated. And I, I think Milton and uh, and Penix Jr. are probably both going to be top four owned for sure. Yeah, I think uh, the value here is why I'm not as heavy on, on Joe um, which I'll get to in a second, but I mean, obviously I can't leave here without talking about Bo Nix, the highest priced quarterback in the slate. I don't, you know, it, it's a, it's going to be a blowout. Uh, but if you look at, you know, the last year's game against Easter Washington, five touchdowns, barely used on the ground and he still had 33 points essentially. Um, but he was so consistently amazing at the beginning of last season. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of reason to use him. You know, you should be using him, a sprinkle at least because of how good that offense is. And they're pumping him up like crazy, you know, oh, with yeah. the bodacious campaigns. campaigns. Yep. So, you know, if, if they want to get a leg up on Caleb Williams for the Heisman, then this is like how you do it. Right. Is you, you start off with a bang, you do it comparatively to Caleb Williams outpour, uh, outperform him in the first week. So I do think um, he's the only other high priced option I would consider, but those, there's like three or four guys in this kind of six to seven K range that I think are super interesting. And the two most uh, appealing ones to me are Chandler Morris and Taylor or yeah. And Taylor green. Um, I think this Boise game is closer than like Lee Corso would say closer than the experts think, right? Like I think two touchdowns is a lot, you know, for a team like Boise, who I think can control the, the football can run the ball really well. Taylor green had 10 touchdowns on like 81 carries. Like, I don't see that happening again, but he's used around the goal line. They got GNT, they got Halani. You know, Stephen Cobbs was amazing two years ago, and now he's back after kind of a weird 2022. 
So he's got some weapons to keep this Washington game really close. And yeah. I could see this 35-31 type, which would be an appealing game stack. Would you consider a game stack? Because you can go naked Talon. Yeah, and I mean, that's how I would I would roll it if you were stacking uh, this game. I don't think that there are any receivers who really benefit from stacking with, uh, with Green. Um, I feel like last season... Uh, Billy Bowen was his uh, his top receiver, um, so I mean, there's there's a little bit of uh, of juice there, but you know, being able to stack him with you know a, a Penix and McMillan stack, or a, um, even a, a if you want to get fancy, do a a, a, a triple stack with uh, uh, Jalen Polk as well, um, adding him with one of the uh, more expensive Washington receivers. I think that that's interesting too. Um, I, you know, I don't think that Boise State's going to be able to hang as, as close with Washington. Um, I think Washington's going to come out and be very, uh, statement oriented, uh, with this one. They're looking to leave their mark and, you know, push forward for their Pac-12 championship. Um, so I'm, I, I think that Washington's defense is a little more stout than Boise's going to be able to put up with. Um, at that pricing, Taylor Green and Chandler Morris both, you know, they are mobile guys. That's what you look for in that range is the, mm-hmm. the guy with the high ceiling. And so I think both of those guys are, are really appealing. Um, so you mentioned Chandler Morris as well. So uh, what's your take on that that TCU Colorado game? Because I, I, I am interested if you think that that's going to be a, a close one, because I, I think that Colorado might be able to put up some points. I don't think they'll be able to stop them, but I think they can put up some points. Yeah, what a uh, what a science experiment Colorado is. You know, <laughs> like their defense feels small; it feels horrible. Um, but they brought in like everybody on offense. Like it's pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, I don't know if McCaskill is going to play a full game or if he's going to be limited or just play period. Um, so that would be something that's a, appealing in future weeks. See how that offense is with a with yeah. running back like him. But they got like twelve receiver options that feel pretty legit. Um, I am not buying them. I don't think it'll work out too well because the defense will be so poorly, but you know, they might keep, they might score enough where it's like 52 21 and you get like a, you still get a full game of Chandler Morris, you know? So Morris, you know, if you don't remember, he beat out uh, Max Duggan last year, big uh, Andrew Katz. He's a big fan of him. Um, And I, I like him. I think, you know, the question here is, the receiver options for him, which we can maybe get to, but I just don't really, I don't really like any stacking options because there just doesn't seem to be any clear picture. You yeah. know, uh, JPR, not to be confused with JRP, feels like maybe the best option. Like JoJo Earl, who, by the way, um, Jared and Nate still owe us a Britney Spears song. So <laughs> if you're listening, we have not forgotten. Um, so yeah, it, it, is there any concern with you? or for you with the fact that there's no true stack option for Morris or naked Chandler is totally fine. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing with that whole TCU game is I haven't seen a depth chart yet and I don't think they plan on releasing one. Um, so I'm an Earl fan myself. I think that he uh, is interesting in stacking, especially in a game that I think that it's going to be a track meet. I think that the outside guys are going to, have big play after big play. Um, 
There's a decent chance, though, that TCU decides we're just going to play some bully ball uh, because we're getting the, uh, I mean, you talked about science experiment. We're seeing if 11 uh, Deuce Vons can beat 11 TCU Horn Frogs. So uh, very small and undersized defense for sure. Um, and small and undersized on, on their offensive line as well. So, I mean, if you are looking at that game stack, Shador having to utilize his legs is definitely going to be a, a must. But you start to wonder, is there going to be uh, a lot of negative plays and a lot of things that really start to tank that that upside for him? So, um, but yeah, TCU, I'm, I'm fine rolling out Earl. You mentioned John Paul Richardson. I think he's got a uh a nice outlook as well he's he's been getting some of the more consistent buzz out of camp for sure um so it it, it should be interesting i do have uh before we move on to uh to running back though i wanted to get your take on some value guys at quarterback uh okay. particularly um i've got tony musket at mm. 5500 against tennessee and i've got jt daniels at 5800 against texas that was impressive because I wrote up one cheap quarterback and it's Tony Musket and it felt real, felt real dirty. I just don't yeah. know what to, I, if we're going cheap, that's probably the route I go. I think his receival receivers are capable. I think there's actually some talent yeah. there. The problem with uh, Daniels is he is a true statue and the receivers, it's just Luke McCaffrey, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, from a UVA perspective, like I don't think Tennessee's defense is a world beater. I think UVA will put up some points. He ran the ball a little bit last year. And the, I think the caution is two things, right? The team total has got to be really low. Yeah. And we just don't know, you know, like I think last year they ran like 55 plays a game. It's a new staff. So, how, but how do I project that? Do I say 65? Yeah. Do I say 70? Like there's just no true way to kind of, go year to year on the, on that number, but Musket's probably the guy I'm thinking of the most when it comes to the cheap options. I don't yeah. think I would venture down the path of JT Daniels, but it, I mean, are you more pro Daniels there or more uh, of a musket? I mean, the one thing that you mentioned is that there's a clear stack with Daniels uh, pulling in Luke McCaffrey. So I'm not playing a bunch of, of cheap quarterbacks in general on this slate. I think the value is elsewhere. Um, but if I were, I think that I would consider and, and venture down the path between Musket and, and Daniels. Um, Musket's really interesting to me. I know that, you know, <laughs> narratives are all the buzz when you're talking daily fantasy. And Virginia coming off the emotional end of their season last year where they canceled some games after the, the tragedy on campus there. Mm -hmm. This is the first game that they're playing back. I mean, I know it's going to be an emotional one and they're going to be fired up to play Tennessee and get a chance to knock them off. Um, I mean, it's it's a real tricky situation where Tennessee has been hearing people praise their offense all offseason, where if, you know, if they get off to a slow start, I think that it's possible UVA sticks in this and is able to throw the ball around and, and capitalize on that. But overall, it's going to be very thin exposure for me on those two guys, but I was just curious, you know, we're always looking for value and trying to have that conversation. So those are the two guys that I saw as most, most viable. I don't think I'll be rolling any uh, Deacon Hill at uh, 4,700 or anything like that. Well, well, what about, what if we get Ole Miss's depth chart before the game? What if we see that, you know, Spencer Sanders would be the ultimate um, 
value pick, but I don't think he's going to start. I think it would be yeah. Jackson Dart. So uh, really quickly here, not really that much of a value pick, but like Jackson Dart is in that same range as Sanders, Morris, and Green. Yeah. Is there any consideration there if we were to hear that he's the starter? Um, You know, that's that's an interesting play too, just because we're going to talk about Quinshawn and how cheap Quinshawn is this week. Um, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with... I mean, even if we don't see a depth chart, I'm okay rolling out Jackson Dart because I really don't think there's any chance that Spencer Sanders is going to be starting. I would sooner think that Walker Howard gets a start than Spencer Sanders. Uh, that just is more my uh, my belief in Spencer Sanders, though, than anything else or lack thereof. So, um, But rolling out uh, Jackson Dart in my lineups this week would be interesting. Um I, again, I mean, you're always looking for leverage against the field, and with Quinchon Judkins being so cheap, um, you know Ole Miss is going to sling it. You figure that uh, Lane is probably trying to see which of those wide receivers has the ability to, you know, step up, um, whether it's Jordan Watkins or uh, Trey Harris. Don't think Zakari is ready to go, so probably won't see him. But um, you know, if he, he could get in his mind that he wants to sling the ball around and, and get a little bit more definition out of that receiving group. Yeah, there's a possibility, I think, that he says, I need to figure out if Dart's it, right? Like, is yeah. he the guy? And then with that, he does force the hand a little bit more. Um, so I do think there's a possibility there. If we did have that information beforehand, I think Dart is, if he's the guy, would 100% be worth some level of ownership just depends on how many lineups you're playing. And then um, it, I think you know, this would be super helpful because I don't think people, I think people are going to play Judkins, right? I mean, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. I think yeah. there's some risk to Judkins because he, we, we've seen him be incredible and just end with like a hundred yards and a touchdown, which is, you know, for his price, we'll, I guess we'll pivot into running back. The running yeah. back position is super deep. And for his price, which is very modest, I think it's what sixty six hundred. Yep, nineteen points on DraftKings isn't bad. The problem with that is, you compare it to all the other guys around him. Oh yeah, nineteen points becomes pretty pedestrian, right? Yep. Uh, we talked about this on Flex or Fade this week with Caleb Johnson, and I liked him as a pivot away from some of those guys because I do think there's some upside to him. Go listen to that for the full discussion. Five minutes, super quick, but. I think pretty uh, fun to listen to. So I do think Judkins is has a lot of pressure because he hasn't, he has the ability to have a huge game like on the field, but it just doesn't correlate into fantasy points. Yeah. I think that's, that's totally viable. And, you know, I mean, with Judkins price, it's not out of the question to roll both of them because there is a path where he catches one and reels off a big play or something like that, where mm -hmm. both of them can benefit. Um, but I mean, with dart, you know, I, I would assume he's going to be, you know, what, maybe six or 7% owned. If that, um, I, I think he'll be single digits, uh, in, in the big tournaments, unless there's some more definition that comes out of that, uh, that room. Um, but yeah, uh, moving over to running back, uh, like you said, Judkins, he's got guys around him that are all high ceiling plays. Uh, Braylon Allen, George Halani um, are one and $200 more expensive than him. You got $300 more with Blake Corum. And then going in the opposite direction, you've got Mayan Williams there at 6,500 Donovan Edwards at 6,200. I mean, it is just 
a muddled mess. And for whatever reason, you've got Marquez Cooper up there at 7,400 against Kentucky. So whatever DraftKings uh, intern was responsible for this one, we'll, we'll see how long they last. But um, I, I'm in the mind of going with one of Judkins and Allen. I don't think going both just because I think that's going to be pretty chalky. Um, they're right next to each other. It's a, a lazy construction move. Um, but, you know, Donovan Edwards, I I like um, this week at 6,200. Um, I think he's the play over quorum uh, at that price. But uh, what's your what's your Michigan take there? I like quorum, obviously. It's hard. Uh, it's hard to be heavy on him. But I mean, I, I will certainly have some. I mean, the matchup is great. The total will be great. You know, they're going to score a ton of points we feel confident that he's healthy. Like, I just don't, I don't see how he doesn't have a hundred and a touchdown. Um, the problem is again, like Judkins, I think I'm much more fan of Braylon Allen, the Wisconsin running back, which by the way, my best home field t-shirt is a Wisconsin shirt. It's incredibly, I mean, it's incredibly soft. It's like molded to my body perfectly which if you have never signed up and purchased something before from uh, Homefield, you should do it. You have a code for Campus to Canton. I believe that gets you 15% off. Is that right? 15, yep. 15, a great deal. So check that out if you haven't. Um, but yeah, I think Braylon Allen is just, that feels very safe with huge upside. Yeah. You know, And I think the change of offense is only going to benefit him. You know, Maybe we see yeah. him more in the past game. Maybe we see Wisconsin run more than 60 plays or whatever. Right. So I think there's a lot of upside, uh, upside that's untapped. Um, Cause yeah. I'm not necessarily worried about like Chesma Lucy getting in the way. Um, so if you, I mean, if you had to rank them, right. Like Coram Allen, Halani Judkins, Ray Davis is who would be like your one and two of these kind of like 65, uh, 6,500 to 7,500 guys. 6,500 to 75. You said, you know, yep. I would probably lean Judkins and Ray Davis as my one and two. Um, I think that, you know, Braylon, it's an interesting thing um, with Phil Longo coming up to, uh, to Madison. I think that a lot of people are going to expect him to throw the ball around right away just because that's what they're accustomed to. That's what they saw last year with Drake May, but... Um, man, I think that they are still going to rely on Braylon Allen. Phil knows that, you know, he's, he's the talent in the room. Um, we saw him, uh, produce great running back, uh, performances with, uh, gosh, Javante and Michael Carter a few years ago. So there's precedent there. It's funny you mentioned, uh, Shez Malusi because I, I actually kind of like Malusi in general as a, a sleeper this year because I do think that uh, Wisconsin will run a little bit more multiple running backs than they would have last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, Malusi is not anybody who we necessarily care about this week. But um, I think I think Braylon is sneaky this week, but I just don't see him having as high of a ceiling as the other guys around him. One thing to note about Longo is he isn't as like pass friendly as he originally as you originally think. Like he's got years where they definitely run it like crazy, albeit like some of them had a little bit of some help with the quarterback, like with um, Howell at UNC and those 
um, Carter Javante years, but he definitely is more of a passing guy, but it's not like, it's not a, it's not a crazy amount, which I think is helpful. And I think that the aspect of, of uh, involving the running backs in the pass game is, is interesting. The only thing that can help us with this, like maybe like a chalky running back situation is that like everybody's in the same boat, like all these players in the same boat, you know, I've heard um, theories that, you know, I think ETR talked about it in the past, which is like, you know, double stack quarterbacks. You got to do it. And then you hear like the cut, the caveat of, well, if there's a, like if it's a stud running back group, it's okay to run like a running back as a super flex. I know yeah. you've already kind of started playing around with builds and things like that. Is that in consideration or are you sticking to that? Got to stack or you got to have two quarterbacks in every lineup. So I only vary from the two super or the quarterback and super flex when we have slates that are, you know, five or six games or less. Um, in general, I think despite the value at running back this week, I, I still think that there is optimal lineups to be built with uh, two quarterbacks. Um, that being said, I mean, man, it's it's a great question and, and a, one that really does need to be dug into this week. I mean, I'm looking at guys like Jabari Small at Tennessee, especially if you want to kind of get weird and get some more leverage on that Tennessee stack. If mm-hmm. you roll their running backs instead – 5800 for him versus paying 5800 for gosh JT Daniels or Cooper Lega or uh Tony Musket at, at 5500 you know from a value standpoint if, if you hit the nuts so to speak you uh you could definitely have that being the in a winning lineup yeah I- I would. I don't know how I can justify this, but my initial thought is like two quarterbacks is how you win it, or like not doing two quarterbacks and instead using a running back as a super flex probably gets you like in the upper upper tier of cashing. Like it feels like that's a higher probability. But if you're trying to win the whole thing, it feels like you you still have to nail quarterbacks because there are such big totals, yeah. there are such big names, you know. So I don't know if if that makes any sense, but that's just my initial thought on it. Yeah. You do make we... a good point though, right? Like there's, you know, if you were to say, Hey, who scores more points like Taylor green or Chandler Morris versus Judkins or Braylon Allen, like okay. I certainly could see the lat, like the running backs beat them. So that's why it feels like it's in consideration. Yeah. Real quick. Can we, can we talk about, you know, a little bit of theory and, what you think, I mean, this is a, a huge slate, like like we said, I, I think 14 games. Um, obviously, you're going to need a, a high total. And I'm thinking, you know, this week is probably a 300-point week, I, I think, um, in which, you know, you'll need more than 250 to really make some significant cash. Um, does that change the way that you're approaching it? I mean, like you said, you're, you're thinking super flex uh, quarterback hitting both of them is really the only way to kind of have a 40 to 50 point ceiling at both spots. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else that kind of goes into your thinking when you know it's going to be a, a high scoring slate? I mean, if you, I think you could probably work backwards a little bit if you're trying to figure out two quarterbacks or not, like how do I really, you know, 
do I gain stack? Do I not? Like, I think trying to become more and more correlated, that makes maybe more sense to work backwards in, you know, if you said for the eight spots, 30 points each, that's 240. But of course, like these things have like a ton of entries. So, yeah, you know, 275 plus definitely feels like it's got to be over 275. You know, maybe it is 300, yeah. you know, it's weak. What if Bo Nix goes out there and has like seven touchdowns? Then all of a yeah. sudden he's got 50 points, right? And then, yep. you know, what if Braylon Allen goes for 204 touchdowns, right? Then all of a sudden, you know, like, so just, especially yeah. because we might see some higher own guys and then, and then it's like, okay, well, it's just these, these little random guys sprinkling in for a random 30 point game makes things really tough. So you do have to be a little bit more perfect. Um, at the same time, there's 14 games. So there's so many options. It's probably not smart to be so focused on like ownerships. Yeah. Um, but I, it's it's a it's a tough decision because the problem with this is right like college football DFS has only been around like three to five years, NFL DFS has been around like ten to fifteen years on DraftKings and things like that. There's so many more data points and like so many more people that are just digging into numbers nonstop in the NFL. So it's hard to say that what are the exact rules of CFB DFS. Yeah, I I totally agree there. Um, before we uh, we get out of this running back combo, though, can we uh, take a look at uh, what are your thoughts on Trey Sanders at 3,900? I know there's no definition in that backfield, but I think that that's the best value on the slate, to be honest. I just don't know if I have a feel for the running back room. Um, yeah. Is there Coming out of fall camp, has there been a guy that like people feel stronger towards on like the RB1 situation? I mean... I feel like going up at least through, you know, June, July, Sanders got the majority of the buzz. Um, down the home stretch, you know, it's possible that Amani Bailey incumbent, you know, if nobody truly separated that everybody said, oh, well, you know, he's the most familiar with the system. He's probably going to get that additional uh, start here. But mm -hmm. when I was going back, I, I watched some TCU from last year. And Bailey really didn't have that workhorse role. He was really, you know, the spell for Miller. And it felt like it wasn't necessarily just a spell whenever he was tired, but it was more situational and that Bailey would get some more pass work, uh, passing down role. And, you know, to me, that makes me wonder, you know, are they anticipating Sanders coming in and having more of that traditional first and second down role? Um, and, I mean, we talked about Colorado being really small all over the field. Mm -hmm. TCU could have their way up front and just put it on cruise control and, and run out the clock. Um, so I, I really like Sanders uh, this week. It's definitely a, a thinner play than you're really comfortable with. Definitely not a cash play, but um, I think he's really interesting at a 3,900. I don't hate it. Um, considering the options, there's just not a lot of guides in that area. What about Tawi Walker? 3,700. I believe he was in like the first set of oars with Marcus Major and, you know, just yep. creating projections and, and looking at that from my angle. Like, whoever's getting the most, like, whoever's getting 12 to 15 carries is going to have a big game against Arkansas State. Yeah. And he's in the mix. So, like, if you like Trey Sanders, I think you should also consider walker right yeah i mean it feels gross just because of the other names that are around him on the death chart but you know with so little information coming out uh for college football it's 
it's definitely one of those things where you have to consider every piece of information you're given. And when you're given a depth chart, when they have the ability not to provide a depth chart, it means something, you know, you've got to, you've got to buy into it uh, in some aspect. So um, I think he's interesting. And, uh, you know, while we're tossing names around, uh, you know, I think when we see so many good values on this slate, we get into a really easy stars and scrubs mindset where we have a few high price options and then we have a few low price options and we, we mix and match those that I feel like guys who are kind of in the middle of all of that, like, uh, like Dylan Johnson at 5,200 um, being a PPR uh, scoring on, on DraftKings. I think he's got some juice. I think, you know, Ron Cook Jr. at 4,400 for Buffalo playing Wisconsin and, you know, I don't think this Wisconsin defense is going to be as good as they've been in the past. Um, so I, you know, I all of those guys are in consideration. Cook is definitely uh, kind of in the line along the lines of uh, JT Daniels. You know, he's more of a, hey, this is a name that could do something great, but I don't have much confidence at all that he's going to pull it off. Um, but what about what about Dylan Johnson uh, in the mix there as well? I like, yeah, I like Dylan Don uh, Dylan Johnson. You'll see something that I wrote up on Saturday for that. And that is that, I mean, he's shown to be a capable runner. He's very capable in the passing game. Yeah. You know, Cam Davis, I thought was a really quality player for them. Now he's out of the picture due to an unfortunate injury. He's out for the season. So Dylan, Don, I think people consider Dylan Johnson potentially going to be able to beat out Cam Davis, which is a, always a good sign. Yeah. You know, if someone were to go down, great sign for Dylan uh, Johnson's outlook that's a pretty modest price. Yep. And that's kind of like when it like hits a tier of like, okay, well like the rest of these guys don't really seem all that appealing. Like Noah Weddington, uh, Weddington to me is interesting, yeah. but that upside feels limited. Um, you know, uh, there was one other guy I was thinking, of, you know, what about Cedric Baxter? If we find out he's the starting running back, which Sarkeesian has come out and said that he will have a depth chart out before game time. He did not yeah. describe when before game time, but <laughs> yeah. if we find out Cedric Baxter is the guy, I mean, that's a huge play at 5,500. And yeah. at the same time too, Jonathan Brooks at 5,300. I think both yeah. of them are in a realm of somewhat safe because worst case scenario, they're the one B or the RB two and they're going to score 45 points. Right. So like you still yeah. could get there as an RB two. So I think there's some, some low 5k options that are appealing for sure. Yeah. Then it hits cool, cool. a cliff. Then we're just straight down. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So re receive, receivers, we've mentioned Tennessee guys. Feels like they just absolutely forgot who yeah. played there because yeah. everybody is very cheap. Keaton's 4K, Brew McCoy's 4,800, Squirrel's 5,500. I think Dante Thornton is like 40 something or he's between four and 5K, something like that. So all very for Thornton, yeah. Is there, which one do you like the most? Which one do you like the most? Um, you know, I think it's hard. It's hard not to say Ramel Keaton for me um, coming in at 4,100. I mean, so cheap. Um, that being said, you know, I think my highest exposure will be between Keaton and White. Um, Brew though, you know, he's got, he's always got the potential to get all the red zone targets and just end up with three touchdowns for, you know, 65 yards and have a great day. Um, but I, I think the, the higher likelihood and the, the better uh, process 
uh, is to to look at guys like Keaton, look at Squirrel Squirrel White. I think White's going to be one of the most owned guys on the whole slate, um, just because all off season we've talked about he's the only guy that Joe can't overthrow. Um, but I don't know. I I, I almost am to a point with Tennessee where like it's it's not fun to talk about these Tennessee guys because they're so cheap and they're going to be so owned. I mean, all three of or all four of them are cheaper than Washington's fourth receiver, Jeremy Bernard. Like, and he's he's almost you know a thousand dollars more expensive than Ramel Keaton. Um, so just I mean, that's the kind of egregious underpricing we're talking about. Um, what about you? Who, who's your who's your lean? I know you're a big Bruce fan just in general, but uh, talking this slate and the pricing that we see, who do you like? I what a great room. I love this receiver room. There's just like, it's just a little, you get a little bit of everything, right? Like yep. brew is not a, he's not really a true possession receiver. He had some drop issues in a previous life, but feels like that's gotten better. Like I didn't feel like that was a major thing last year, but a big frame, shorter routes, um, squirrels or deep ball, super fast in the slot. They love Dante Thornton from everything I can tell. It seems like they just love him. You don't put him all over the field in fall camp and, I think he's technically like a second slot guy, but then he's also like yeah. a second outside receiver as well. Yeah. So I, if I'm picking one, I'm probably taking Dante Thornton. Yeah. Um, tall guy, really fast, uh, not scroll fast, but very fast. Um, in, he's shown to be talented in limited time with Oregon. Yeah. Raved about him in fall camp. Um, I'm not huge on Keaton. I get it. I think technically he's starting, right? Like he's the other outside receiver, yeah. right? Yep. So at that price, I think you have to consider him a little bit, depending on how many yeah. lineups you play. It makes sense to use him for sure. Um, so I would say Thornton is, would be the guy I would target the most. And then Squirrel, you know, just straight success with him last year was incredible in the bowl game. But yeah. then like, it's so funny. He had such a good connection with them for like the six minutes they would play together every game, you know, yeah. like, and it was incredible. But uh, so, yeah, I think that receiver room is really fun. The only other receiver room I think that is equally fun on this slate is Washington. You've yeah. kind of mentioned them already. They are not cheap, but they're probably cheaper than they should be. Roma Dunze yeah. is 7,300. Um, Jalen McMillan is 6,900. And then if you wanted to look at a third receiver, uh, Jalen Polk is 5,700. I'm going to focus my talents on the top two guys um, okay. based on previous year data. But is are you are you the same way or are you even sprinkling in some Polk? I'm going to sprinkle in some Polk, especially in my Pendix lineups. Um, I think that's the way that I approach stacking, especially a double stack on the slate. I'm, I'm very rarely am I going to stack the top two receiving options just because... I don't think that variance is necessarily make, I don't think that it makes sense to utilize your top two most expensive receivers on the same team. Um, I think that variance is going to kick in a little bit and for you to really go off on a, uh, a double stack, you need to get a little bit creative with it. You need to go with, you know, uh, unless we're talking a super high concentrated offense. Um, I, I, I probably wouldn't roll a one and a two unless it's a smaller slate. So with such a big slate, um, I, I do like McMillan uh, and Polk particularly. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Odunze is good, but um, I will likely be leaning more McMillan because I do think he's going to be a little bit uh, less owned. 
Yeah, to talk about kind of the target share there, they both are at like that 21% range, which is really nice, but it's more nice because of how effective the offense is. Yep. You know, if you're talking big target share, you're talking 28 to 35%. So like yeah. that, you know, the UTSAs of the world, right? Like, so Washington's not quite on that level as, as much as they do focus on those two guys. They're just more of like, it's just, they're just so effective in the passing game. Yeah. I've mentioned Bo Nix. There's no Oregon guy we're we're loving, right? Like Troy Flank Franklin's a little expensive. Tez Johnson, his brother, is too expensive for a role that's kind of TBD. Is there anybody yeah. in the Oregon passing game that you would uh, utilize, or would you go naked Bo? Uh, I definitely naked Bo. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, whenever you're looking at like a blowout slate like this or a blowout matchup, and you've got uh, mobile quarterback who can get touchdowns on the ground and pick up lots of yardage on the ground. I think that stacking is a little bit of a fool's errand because they're going to want to try and mix it up a little bit. They're going to want to try and spread it around, really flex their muscles a little bit and, and show that, you know, this offense is tuned up and, and ready to go. So I don't, I don't like any of the receivers for Oregon this week. Um, what's your thought on, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. Most expensive receiver on the slate. I think he's in for an interesting season because, you know, typically receivers don't win the Heisman because, you know, if they go crazy, it's typically because their quarterbacks also going crazy. I think we might get the rare situation like Devonta Smith a couple of years ago where like his numbers yeah. get so big that he could be in that conversation for Heisman. Um, so I do like them. The pricing is pretty aggressive, especially oh, yeah. with some potential issues at quarterback. I'm not a, I don't know. It just didn't seem like either guy was all that um, encouraging for me to feel good about that passing game. But I think they'll yeah. figure it out in the long term, and Harrison will be fine either way. I'm I'm very interested in Harrison and Agbuka this week because I do think that they're going to try and figure out the passing game. Um, not only do they have the quarterback competition going on, but they were also hit so heavily with the running back depth issues last year that I don't think that they'll necessarily just, and Ryan Day has never just iced games. He is very aggressive in going out and scoring points, throwing the ball, keeping his foot on the gas pedal. Um, so, I mean, Agbuka and Harrison Jr. are, I mean, they're, they're studs of the studs. They're both top five CFF picks this year. So um, Agbuka down at 7,400 is definitely more accessible. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, he's usually getting more of the underneath uh, low ADOT stuff. So I, I almost like him a little bit better than MHJ this week. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the way that that uh, pairing kind of works out? Ryan Day is so he lacks creativity to me. Um, the ways that he could be using a mecca like feels like he could just be using him so much better. All that being said, that really rises his raises his floor because he does get so much cheap, easy stuff. And he is very talented. You put him against an Indiana defense that's not gonna be all that strong this year, and then he can break one pretty quickly. Um, so I, I like him. There is obviously some cost savings, which is nice. Maybe he's the guy that you target early where before they figure out who really is the quarterback. 
Um, yeah. So I could see kind of that angle to it. And I do see what you're saying with, I think you're right. They have to figure out quarterback, right? Yeah. So they are going to pass the football. And even yeah. if it's late, they're going to pass the football because that means the other quarterbacks in and they get more data to work off of. Yeah. And they have been super banged up at running backs. So like, if you don't have to hammer every guy early, then that makes sense too. They, they have abused running backs in the last few years, specifically last year. It was like, you just jamming them down their like the offensive lineman's backs, like every single play, yeah. which is weird, but um, not to go on a tangent, but yeah, I, I can see that a Mecca angle. And the, the nice thing is there is some cost savings there. Staying in the big 10. I'm sorry. I've got, go I've got a quick Ohio state it? question beforehand. Yeah, sure. So is there any path that makes Kyle McCord or Devin Brown viable? Like if you're, I mean, we know McCord is going to start and it, I mean, even if it's a situation like we saw last year in Michigan, where they give one the majority of this week and they give the other the majority of the game next week. I mean, are you too concerned about the cap ceiling of if they're up by, you know, four scores, they're going to throw somebody else in the game? Or is there any path to that? I know it's unconventional. I don't think there's really the likelihood of that happening is so minuscule, in my opinion, of like him hitting 10K value. It's just yeah. the problem is. Oh, the only way it happens is if Indiana puts up points and keeps the game close and Kyle McCord yeah. comes out super hot. You're not taking out a McCord that's got four touchdown passes at the half and they're up 28-21, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's what you would essentially need, right? Three touchdowns and 200 yards and they're up 21-17. Like, that's the type of thing. I just depends. Like, is there any shot at Indiana keeping up with them and stopping them enough? Like, I, I don't see Indiana keeping this close to you. No, I don't. I do think, you know, Cam Camper is interesting if he's healthy um, at five, five and a half uh, this week. But no, I don't think that they're going to have consistent enough quarterback play. Um, I do think, um, oh gosh, his name is escaping me right now. The From Tennessee. Taven uh, Jackson? Yeah, Taven. Have we gotten any confirmation on uh, quarterback? We... As far as I'm aware, that we don't know if it's going to be Soresby or Haven. Okay. I don't have any pulse on that at all. I mean, you would think it would be Taven, but yeah. I mean, has he played a college football down yet? Like, so I could see Soresby sneaking in. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost a situation where even if he is a better quarterback, do you really want to throw him to the Wolves this week or uh, do you want to sacrifice Soresby and roll up Jackson later? So. Anyway, it does. That is a college building. <laughs> you sacrifice someone to the gods real quick, and then get the yeah. other end. But um, I was, I was going to say, staying in the Big Ten, Will Pauling was named the slot, the starting receiver at slot uh, for Wisconsin. A, you know, a position in the Phil Longo offense that is heavily utilized. What is your thought on Pauling? I think he's fifty five hundred or so. Yeah, he is fifty one hundred, so even cheaper. Um, I. I'm so hesitant to roll any Wisconsin receivers this week. Um, two reasons. I mean, like we said earlier, uh, you know, Braylon is so cheap um, that it's, it's really going to be a situation where, you know, you're playing Buffalo. Are you going to really throw it around that much when you know that you've got um, such a, a stud running back who can, should be able to get you out of there scot-free. Um the other portion, you know, 
I just don't know if this is going to be as aggressive of a passing attack that we had anticipated. Um, I know you have your personal connection with uh, Phil Longo, so you might have some insider information. Yeah, yeah, I do. Hey, Phil, if you're listening again, great to <laughs> great to chat with you weekly. Yes, but um, I, I like Paulie. I mean, yeah. it, the, but I do agree. I wish he was like 4100. I wish he was a little bit cheaper yeah. because there is some sketchiness here, right? Like he was marked starter at slot, but I think for months and months there was like five options that could be the starter, right? So that does yeah. give me some some pause. Um, I know that you like Tavion Robinson as a value play. We're not going to speak to him here because we, you need to yeah. listen to fit, uh, Flex or Fade to hear about the Kentucky yeah. receiver room and who likes who. Um, mm -hmm. So check that out if you haven't. But are there other non-Tennessee value plays that make sense on this slate? You know, I had a little bit of interest in um, Trayvon Rudolph, uh, Northern, Illinois, Northern Illinois receiver. Uh, they're at Boston College this week, and he's 4,600. Um, they should have to throw the ball pretty aggressively, more aggressively than they want to. Um, Ontario Brown is a great running back, but you know, they do have that step up in competition against Boston college. Um, this one has a little bit of sneaky shootout potential. I feel like, um, Boston college, I don't really know what to expect on offense, but they are, um, I feel like a little bit more mobile at, at quarterback, um, especially if they're utilizing Castellanos in any, uh, capacity. I know he is technically the backup behind Moorhead, but um, I think that, you know, Trayvon Rudolph is a great option to pick up those uh, PPR points for DraftKings. Um, I think that he has a pretty safe floor um, with the potential for a two-touchdown performance. Okay. I'm going to give a, a random cheap guy I like. I wish I wish the quarterback situation was a little bit better, but I do think this is a safe cash gameplay with some potential on the on the upside here. Luke Lachey is like thirty seven hundred. Wish came to uh, McNamara. I am a big Lachey guy. He's going to go like first or second round in the NFL. I'm telling you, the dude yeah. is huge and super productive. Like, what's the difference between him and Sam Laporta? Right? Like, it's it's not going to be that much different. But anyways, Lachey is is super cheap. And I'll give a kind of a random play. I want you, Ethan, to think of your kind of more favorite. I don't know. He feels like a good option. I can't really justify it, but I got this feeling. <laughs> I am going to go. Ooh, I did this to myself, didn't I? I'm going to go Ryan O'Keefe. I thought at UCF he was ooh. awesome. I mean, he kept yeah. Kobe Hudson off the board, off the field a decent bit. Um, he's shown to be productive. He can be used in the run game feels pretty cheap to say it, but it feels like a decent comparison to Zay Flowers, like his mini, yeah. like a light version of him, you know? So I like Ryan O'Keefe. I think they he might command a ton of targets. Um, NIU is going to be one of your better matchups that you get and yeah. uh, for BC. So I'm, I'm curious, who's your kind of random, oh, I don't know, anybody, this guy, you know, this guy feels cool, but I can't really justify why guy. Yeah, uh, so... I've got two guys. I've got one guy who is a value play that I, I, I really do like, but I want to talk about before we uh, wrap up. But in terms of a guy who is hard to justify, but I think could have a very nice day is uh, Corey Rucker at Arkansas state. Um, we saw him uh, transfer to South Carolina last year. Didn't get 
much slash any action. I think there were some injury issues or it might have been eligibility issues. I'm not sure. Um, but he's back at Arkansas State. Uh, they're playing Oklahoma. They should be down. Um, they'll need to throw the ball to stay in it. Uh, he is their most talented guy um, outside. I know uh, they also have, uh, is it Jeff Foreman as well, who's out there? So um, they have some weapons on the outside. I don't trust, you know, the quarterback play. Um, but Corey Rucker, I'm, I'm all about the, uh, the garbage time stats. If you can't tell, he, uh, he should be able to clean up in, in comeback mode uh, and at least get you a solid floor. Um, but one last value play that I, I want to touch sure. on, um, 3,700 Jatavian Sanders at Texas, um, thoughts there. I mean, he, he seems to me, he seems like a guy who I know Texas has more wide receiver, uh, talent in their in their room this year um but he was a guy last year who i mean between him and, and worthy i mean he could easily have the best receiving day out of the bunch i don't mind him at all he sarkeesian came out and said he would see less targets this season but he said they would be better targets like yeah i don't care about a four-yard catch like sure that's cool but like if you can get me down the scene for 30 and a potential touchdown like that feels more appealing so it's kind of like a yeah. You know, that feels like a pretty good situation. I, so I do like um, Sanders on the slate. That's a pretty good price. Yeah. Cool. What about this Devron Harper guy for Mercer? Have you seen this guy's stats? No, I haven't. I've never heard this, of this guy. This guy averaged 27 and a half fantasy points per game for Mercer last year. Oh and they play gosh. Ole Miss. Ole Miss isn't going to stop anybody. He's a 5'9", 170 senior. Last season, see, did he play anybody good? No. Um, 30, 3,800. He's 3,300. So pretty impressive. I mean, he, he basically scored a touchdown like every single game. He had four <laughs> rushing touchdowns to start the yeah, season or now. like in four of the first six games. I don't know. I just saw his name. Somebody degen it and figure out who would be a good option. You know who <laughs> might know that actually, if he's a good option? Is Nicholas Egan Allen. Oof. The creator yes. of CFP Winning Edge, who is now a part of the C2C family. Of course, we sell the C2C subscription. You should check it out. But if you want to go super to Jen and read about things that you never thought you'd ever read about, you get the Winning Edge package, which is just a little bit more, maybe, let's see, six bucks more a month if you do like the yearly package, if you do the math. Nick would be great at math. I, I just did a back of the napkin real quick. But <laughs> I would check him out. If you have that subscription, you are deadly. You are lethal all year long. So I would check that out. Any final thoughts on the slate, Ethan, before we wrap up? Um, this well, one feels like a fun one. I wish I wasn't going to a wedding um, oof, and celebrating yeah. love and commitment, blah, blah, blah. But uh, what do you think? Yeah, well, first of all, no no fall weddings. That's just first Never. off that. Dude, uh, yeah, I'm going to get started I... about it. <laughs> I think that this is going to be a slate where your high leverage situations are more important than anything else. I feel like that is a constant thing in college fantasy that is not as important when you look at NFL DFS or NFL uh, fantasy is finding the guys who have big ownership potential where the say it's a quarterback wide receiver stack, but the running back has, you know, up against a not great competition and might have some better game script uh, coming their way. Um, being able to find guys like that really help um, bolster your 
roster in big tournaments. Um, I mean, going back, like I said, with Tennessee, seeing the the Tennessee running backs, they're not super cheap, but they're they're cheap enough when you consider how much ownership is going to be on those cheap receivers. Um, so many people get caught up with value uh, time and time again, and we all fall in love with the value plays on a slate. But um, it's it's easy to forget that on a 14-game slate, it doesn't matter if you have good value. If you don't have the raw production to go along with mm-hmm. it, you're you're not going to win a, a contest. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. That's that's a great point because there there is a level of yeah, like four X is awesome or five, you, but like ultimately, it's five X is awesome, but it, you have to compare it to what else is around you. So the options are endless. I you know if you thought I'm guaranteed three X on this player's production to, versus salary, like I wouldn't lock that in or whatever that number is, right? Yeah. I would really kind of dig deep into you know, the upside of potential options and things like that on the slate. But hope you guys enjoyed this week's version of Campus to Cash. We'll be coming here all season long, maybe through bowl season. We'll feel how, see how frisky and maybe how worn out we are by December. But hope you guys enjoyed it. Enjoy the games. And uh, we'll chat with you guys next week.